All right, let's turn to uh, Micah chapter 7. That's read in your hearing, and sometimes it's good to use the index and find these minor prophets. There's a little song, I think, which you can sing all the 12 names and get them in the right order. I don't know that song. I know the song for the shorter catechism, the (laughs) Who made me? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make all things? For his own glory. Where do we learn about God? In the Bible book. Well, I'm not here to sing to you. (laughs) But I learned the, the children's catechism through singing it. And I'm sure if there was a song that these 12 minor prophets... I'm sure there is one, and, so, and you know it. You can sing to me afterwards if you know it. I need to learn it. All right, Micah chapter 7. It's a mighty chapter, but he begins in total despair. Woe is me, he says. Now, that phrase occurs about a hundred times in the Bible. Uh, not just woe is me, but woe are we, or woe are they. And it's a refrain that runs through, that looks at the plight of man and grieves over it. And why why is there such grief? Well, he goes on to explain to us, um, because the state of the covenant people of God, because of the state of the nation. You know what this nation was? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a picture of just great prosperity and riches and... uh, no starvation, no famine, no poverty, abundance. It's that picture. But it's not at all like that. And so he uses um, a metaphor, a picture of um, a, a, a man who's got a vineyard. And he's planted and he's put the manure and everything down and he's pruned it and he goes at harvest time for grapes. There are no clusters of grapes. You see what he says that in the in the next verse. Um, not one cluster. You've got grapes like ball bearings, just a few of them, and they are as hard as unripe gooseberries, inedible. And he's worked for it. I remember my father would um, he loved kidney beans and he'd put his row down and I'd watch him and do a little bits of help and he'd put all the sticks up and then the lovely kidney bean seeds, shiny brown and he'd plant them there at the bottom and then we'd watch the plant grow and go up and up and round the brown and then the red flowers would appear and the, then the little beans would grow and grow and grow and then one night he'd, he'd cut the first lot and we just have that on a plate, fresh kidney beans. Didn't need anything else, a bit of butter with that. My father would look forward to that so much. But he, he was a station master, he wasn't a farmer. If you were a farmer, you, you look through your fields, don't you? You want to see the crops grow. If you've got a vineyard, you want to see the vines loaded with clusters of delicious grapes. But Nothing. Nothing in the land flowing with milk and honey. Why is that? Well, because 
the people have turned away from God. Now you know there was a civil war under Solomon's son and the northern ten tribes went and were called Israel and that's where at this time there were two prophets Amos and Hosea they were the preachers to the people up there but the southern two tribes big tribe of Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin um, they were called Judah around Jerusalem and um, they had two men too who were their preachers one was Isaiah and the other was Micah Micah the junior Isaiah the senior two brothers working together two brothers in the northern four men God sent out to preach the word of God to the people describing to the people what was wrong and what was wrong when they looked around when Micah looked around there was a famine of good men now in Isaiah and in the third chapter of Isaiah he has the same judgment Isaiah chapter 3 verse 2 the mighty man and the man of war the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder the captain of 50 and the honorable man the counselor and the skillful artisan and the expert enchanter they've been verse 1 taken away from Jerusalem and from Judah I will give verse 4 children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them the people will be oppressed everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor the child will be insolent towards the elder and the base toward the honorable now that's the picture that you have here in Micah's last chapter he looks around the land and he says there's a dearth of honorable men in leadership now my friends I am not just being a Jeremiah in saying that that is exactly what we've got in our land today um, a famine of upright men um, heads of families a man who keeps his marriage vows and sticks with his wife and cares for her and provides for his children and who has replaced them you know you look back you look back to when you were a boy the deacons in your church the local policeman who pounded the streets and was respected by all the the teachers in your school and the respect that was given to them and the headmaster the local councillors, the government. You can remember Winston Churchill. People we admired and respected in leadership. But, uh, oh, what we have today is news of violent men, is it not? That's what he says in this chapter. Um, the faithful man has perished on the earth there is no one upright among men verse 2 they all lie in wait for blood every man hunts his brother with a net 
Um, you see, there are boys who have no role model fathers. They, their poor mothers are working and keeping and and so for their role models they they join gangs and uh, the gang has a turf it has a block of streets woe beside it betide anyone from another gang who comes then the knives come out and then there are the repeated news items week after week of young teenagers being killed by other gangs. They wait for blood, he says. They hurt their own brothers. One brother has joined one gang and the other. Oh, the fact that he's your brother, it doesn't matter any longer. The breakdown of, of families. They do evil, verse 3, with both hands. It's not just the father smacking his son on the bottom saying, don't talk to your mother like that. This is both hands. This is fully showing their hostility and their hatred. The breakdown of families. Uh, and what of our leaders? What of the political classes? What of the upper classes, the nobility? Well, they're easily bribed, he says, verse 3. Don't you see that? They, they look, the lawyers, the court officials, you can bribe them. The police. What's happening to the police in our days? Or the noble families of our land. You know, there were some that have inherited lands and it used to be noblesse oblige. That is, um, the people who had inherited farms and lands and they, they were especially caring and thoughtful about those who... Um, worked the lands and there were special times uh, parties in the year, harvest time Christmas time and they were showing their generosity, they were thoughtful if there was illness they helped out they had received so many privileges and but not here not here the leaders speak out openly of their lusts they boast about the drugs they've taken and the women they've had and their ugly relationships and they want everyone to know that's what he says and um, how can I compare you says Micah well I can't compare this generation to ah, oak trees I was in Wales last week and drove through the forests and over the mountains there and there were these wonderful trees now in the full glory of the summer how magnificent they were. It stood there 100, 200, 300 years, some of them. Great oak trees. But when Micah looked, he didn't see the, the cedars of Lebanon. What he saw were the brambles, full of thorns, verse 4, spreading out and out. So instead of milk and honey and grape harvests there were weeds and there were thorns that covered the land and then what of your neighbors well i'm i'm sure you you can thank god for some neighbors you have and they they're so helpful to you they look after your cat if you're away for the day or 
Um, they water your plants if you're away for a week and they keep an eye on the property if there's anyone sort of hanging around your house and they know it's empty. They say, can I, can I help you? They say, your neighbours, you can thank God for good neighbours are. You wish they'd come to church with you on Sundays, but, you know, they, they just don't want to know that. We can thank God for our, our neighbours. But, oh, he's saying, uh, you can't do that in Judah any longer. It's not happening. What about friendships? Well, you be careful uh, about what you share, about money matters and relationships. Uh, you go down to the pub and you talk to your buddies in the pub there and you tell your buddies in the pub about this woman and she seems interested in you. Take her, they'll say. Have her. She's married. You're married. Don't listen to your friends. When they, they bring something, a beautiful Japanese camera, ten pounds, he said. Where'd you get it? Don't ask any questions. Ask questions. Don't listen to your friends. He says, be careful what you say. Beware. Beware of the person you share your bed with. He's referring, of course, to Delilah and Samson. And Samson so strong and powerful for the Lord and destroying the, the Philistines' bales. And he's crazy about this woman. She gives herself to him. And she says, oh, oh, Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. He says, oh, special ropes. They're helpless. She immediately tells the Philistines and they bind him with ropes when he's asleep. He snaps them like God. He tells her another whopper. And she sulks and cries and she says, I give you everything and look, you're not telling me. And she, he finally says, well, it's my hair. Without my hair, I'd be as weak as a kitten. She immediately tells the Philistines and while he's asleep, they shear him. And he gets up thinking his strength is there and it's gone and they put his eyes out. And he turns a great millstone and is whipped and mocked. Be careful. We read these divorce cases, don't we, in the papers. They were married 20, 30 years. They got children. They got money. And now they're each arguing with the other bitterly and paying lawyers millions. And Beware. Be careful. Disastrous. Family life. A son is against his father. A daughter against her mother. Can you believe it? And in-laws fighting. People say, don't they, you can't trust anyone any longer. They say that. They say that about plumbers and electricians and insurance companies and government promises. Who can we trust these days? They say. We'll feel let down. Now that is what you and I hear as you wait for the bus in the mornings and you talk to people and they've overwhelmed 
by the depravity and the lack of leadership and the moral declension and what is being presented to us all the time. Right, that's the negative position. This chapter reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, which begins with man dead in trespasses and sins, following the God of this world, you know, the great second chapter of Ephesians, and then he says, but God. But God. And so you see here then, verse 7, the mood changes. Therefore, he says. And I love that, therefore. When you see therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask what it's there for. And uh, it's there for a warning and an example to us of what we are to do and how we are to behave when we are overwhelmed at times by a new disclosure on the news or in the paper of man's depravity and the sickness of our own country. Therefore, this will be my response. Look at these wonderful words. Therefore, three things. One, I will look to the Lord. Two, I will wait for the God of my salvation. Three, my God will hear me. Okay? Those are the three things. This is the Christian response to the depravity in, in the land at the present time. As Micah's response was, and as he taught the people, now they mustn't be crushed by the wickedness. This is what you can do. There is an alternative. You know? Wesley, John Wesley, the preacher Charles was the writer, his brother, the hymn writer, John translated some, but he was the preacher. John's base was London. And then he worked his way west to Bristol, and then he had a, a lovely chapel there. There's a wonderful statue, my favorite statue, of Wesley with his Bible on the back of a horse as he's riding along. And then he worked his way up north, preaching in Wales and Midlands, to Newcastle. And he arrived for the first time in Newcastle. And he was shocked at the depravity and the poverty that he saw all around him. Naked children, dirty, broken-hearted, women, illness, darkness everywhere. And, uh, you know, uh, what he said, surely this place is ripe for the gospel, for the one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for us, who came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's just ideal for Jesus. And this is how we are to look. Therefore, because of that, there are three things that we must do. Firstly, we look to the Lord. That is, like the eyes of a servant are on the face of his master. Master says, so we stop. which says, um, get me a glass of water. Things both great and small. Our pleasure in life is to do what Jesus tells us to do. That's why you read the Bible every day. 
and that's why we uh, come to church to a Bible-believing congregation. Um, a congregation, the climax of whose worship is to open the book and find the page and preach it to us. And that's what we want. Feed me now and evermore, we pray. And so we, look, we are looking to Jesus because Jesus is here. Jesus is speaking now to you through me and through the hymns we've sung, nearer, still nearer. We longed for that. And uh, Jesus uh, wants us to be always looking to him. And the second thing is, um, I will wait for the God of my salvation. He saved me. Well then, he's the God of my salvation. He's not going to let me go, will he? Um, you know, we have a cliche, but it's absolutely true. Cliches you generally are. Um, how bright are your prospects for the future? And we say they are as bright as the promises of God, aren't they? Think of it. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll work all things together for your good. I will call, cause all grace to abound. I will supply all your needs according to your, my riches in glory in, in Christ Jesus. The great love of, of our Lord for us. And so um, we, we wait. We wait on him. Because um, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. Um, he always listens millions of prayers going up and the Lord Jesus hearing them all and for many he answers for many he says wait but he gives answer some he says no, no because there's something better you know my friend fell in love with a, a girl in the congregation and when she was 18, he asked her father, who was an elder in the congregation, permission to take her out. And he talked her over with his wife. And he said, no, we don't believe she's old enough to begin a serious relationship. And the age gap, which is about 20 years between you and her, is too great. So we'd appreciate it if... Um, you didn't ask her. And a month later, he saw a fellow in the church sitting next to this girl and finding her place and the Bible. And next couple of Sundays, they were sitting together. And then he came to see my friend. And he said to my friend, um, you might notice um, I've got a friendship with so-and-so in the congregation. Now, I want to do this right. I want you to give me some advice in um, how a Christian gets involved in courting a girlfriend. He said to me, I'd have made her a far better husband than he ever will. <laughs> and I felt so sorry for him. And so, you know what you do, you look Romans 8, 28, and all things work together and so on, and I try to half-heartedly give him some counsel like that. 
he said to me, Jeff, it's all right. It's all right. We believe when we ask God for something, either he gives us what we ask for, or he gives us something better. Amen. Either he gives us what we ask for, or he gives us something better. All right? That phrase has done much pastoral good when I've used it to speak to people with, with problems and pray with them. And God, there's something better for you. It's all right. It's all right. Just trust in him. Wait for the God of your salvation. That's what he says. And then he says, verse 3, my God will hear me. All right. God. Like the Lord Jesus, is it possible for this cup to pass from me? Is it possible for this cup to pass from me? Father, is it possible? He pleads. He knows what's God's will. He's told the disciples that he's going to be betrayed and crucified and rise the third day, but he's asking still as a human being, is there another way? And he looks into the cup and there's damnation in the cup. Is there another cup? And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that's the ground, foundation of Christian contentment. That what we want in our lives is the will of God. And if we see this is the will of God, then we learn contentment. We don't know. We don't know why. Why is God saying no? Why has God sent leanness? But we trust him. We trust him with all our hearts. And we cry, oh, for grace to love thee more, we say. And so from verse 8 onwards then, as he's uh, confidently grown in this way, from the 8th verse onwards, there's a, a new confidence. We've seen the depravity, we've seen his response, and now we finally see the, 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 new, the new confidence. He turns to these people that say, you go to church. You believe in God. You can't see God. Don't rejoice over me, my enemy, verse 8. Don't rejoice. When I fall, I will fall. I'll fall seven times every day. And seven times a day, the Lord will come and he'll pick me up. He'll do that. He'll dust me down. He'll hug me. He'll heal my bruises. He'll dry my tears. And he'll keep me going. I fall again and I fall again. Where my sin abounds, God's grace, abundantly, far more abundantly than I can ever imagine, it abounds. He's dealt with its guilt. He's dealing with its power. He'll help me. He'll answer me. Don't rejoice over me. Oh, I'll fall. But um, because I'm a sinner... I will bear it all. And then he says, you see in, in, in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. So it's, it's never a bed of roses. It's always the last two of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you 
who are persecuted, when men despise you and say all manner of evil against you, that's the context of this fallen world. The more like Christ we are, they will treat us more like the way they treated the Lord Jesus. But he is pleading our cause. Verse 9, right there, those four words, he pleads my case, it says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, he whispers my worthless name into the ears of his Father in heaven. He says, there's that man down in Kent there, and he's struggling, and he doesn't know where to turn there's that woman she's found a lump and she's not looking forward to going to the doctor to have an analysis of it the children are staying out late at night father send help father send the holy spirit father send wisdom protect them use them keep them we have a great high priest above we have a great holy spirit whoever intercedes within us. This is the great love of God for all his people. He pleads my case. He executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. So um, we have dark patches on our pilgrimage. Preachers have dark passages. They, 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 they go through a dry patch and they groan over it. And then the Lord asks them and helps them and they, they, they get more light on a subject and more light on their calling as preachers and he sends light to us. I will see his righteousness. So um, we look at those that mock us. You're still not going to church, are you? The girls in the open plan office. On a Monday morning, they're there and they take out uh, the free newspapers that they picked up on the tube and uh, they have a look at the uh, horoscope. Oh, you're Taurus, aren't you? Oh, tall, dark man's coming into your life tonight. <laughs> oh, and you are uh, Pisces. Oh, you're in for the money. <laughs> you don't get involved in that. You listen to them with... You're not going to read your horoscope. You know who's in charge of your future. And, uh, but it happens. A uh, girl is there and she's, uh, she's quiet. And she doesn't bother. And you're an unbeliever and you, you notice that. And uh, You say, did you have a nice weekend? Oh, we had a Welsh preacher in the congregation. <laughs> shouldn't say that should I? <laughs> we had a preacher and oh he was so helpful mm, so she goes to church and after that you asked her more and good Sunday yes oh yes we had a great time and you know this is what I learned you didn't know she'd shared you with her four best friends and the five of them were praying for you and that, that Friday, she said, you know, we've got a special service on Sunday in our church, and would you like to come along? And you were always hoping in your heart of heart she'd ask you. And when you went along and sat there in church, 
you felt you'd come home. That was the beginning of grace. The beginning of grace. And that's how, that's how we grow, making friendships, and then inviting people to come along and sharing the gospel with them. Um, the Lord Jesus, he looks after us. And um, that's happening all over the world now. We are a microcosm of a macrocosm. A million congregations, perhaps ten million in all the continents of the world. The walls are being built. I will build my church. Verse 11. Uh, and the, the decree, go into all the world and preach the gospel, it goes far and wide. And that day, there'll be a response. They'll come from Assyria. And the fortified cities, from the fortress to the river, sea to sea, from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic, to the Pacific, they will go and from the Alps, to the Andes and the Rockies to the Himalayas and the, the decree will go out and uh, that's what's happening that's what's happening today we had a a missionary couple who were in our church a month ago from Mongolia they've been there since 1995 and when they arrived they were told there are 200 Christians in Mongolia. Do you know how many there are today? They asked us. 60,000. So I, in the question, you know, the Welsh blabbermouth put his hand up. And I said, does that include Catholics? Does that include the Christian cults, the Seventh-day Adventists? Does that include the health and wealth heretics that Nigeria and Nigerian churches promote so much. He said, no, no, no. This is the Evangelical Alliance of Mongolia. It's about Bible-believing churches. 260,000 doing what we do in our churches. Sing to God, pray to God, open up God's word live a credible godly life being good neighbours good workmates raising our children to know and love the saviour and the word goes out and out it goes out to the solitary in the woodlands in Carmel and Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old when God drew us out of Egypt and what happens are the nations see and they're ashamed of all their might. They put their hands to their mouths. Verse 16. Their ears are deaf. They lick the dust like a serpent. They crawl from their holes. They're afraid. Great awakenings. That's what happens. Not everyone believes, but everyone is conscious of a fear of God. Who is a God like you? Who is, is Buddha like Jesus? Is Muhammad like Jesus? Are the Hindu gods? Our Prime Minister has one on his desk, his favourite Hindu god. Is he like Jesus? Does he love us and pray for us? Did he lay down his life for us? Did he teach us the Sermon on the Mount? Did they? Only he. 
only he who is abiding God that he forgives our sins and forgives his mercy is immeasurable his grace abundant pardons iniquity passes over the transgressions of his heritage he doesn't retain his anger forever he delights in showing mercy don't give up because you have some sinful habit and it's hard it is hard to change but don't don't stop saying sorry Lord and let you down again keep saying it you know at the end of every day we lie in bed and switch the light out and we say sorry Lord about today thank you for your blessings today and in the wonder of grace God hears us and God forgives us and God gives us sleep and helps us helps us hitherto has the Lord helps us he delights in mercy he will have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities where are our sins well they they in those days the furthest point was the depths of the sea because there was a canopy they thought over them which was a, a few thousand feet up where the lights were and our sins they're in the depths of the sea they said well we would say a billion light years away the furthest recesses of the universe and that's where our sins are unattainable unreachable unimaginably far from us we can never be with them we can never be accounted for those sins again because he's taken and he has heard them millions of light years away that's what he's done. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And then he quotes the most famous names that you gave to your children. You called them Jacob or you called them Abraham. And there were thousands of Jacobs and thousands of Abrams, like there are thousands of Thomases in Wales and Joneses in Wales. He will give truth to Thomas and to Jones he will give mercy to Thomas and Jones and Smith he would give that because he sworn to our fathers from days of old he's, he's made a covenant and he'll never break that covenant that's the mercy of our God and that's the spirit that we are to have in days where we look around us and we couldn't believe how rapidly a country can disintegrate as in the last few years our country has disintegrated we can't believe but we're not to parade those things and grow on those things we are to parade the wonderful living saviour his wonderful work as our teacher and as the lamb of God who takes away our sin and the Lord who protects us a sovereign protector we have and we're to trust him he ever lives to pray for us or may he bless us as a group of Christians in these days Amen, Amen. Lord bless your word to us now we pray grant that all the comfort and strength that we see in Micah that he impelled to the people then, he can impel into our hearts. 
and they can garrison and keep our hearts from despair as we look to such a pardoning God as thou art. Revive thy work. O Lord, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.